G'day punters. Want to win a day at the footy for you and 10 mates in the tab corporate box? Well, make sure you're listening later in the podcast for this week's all-important code word. Full terms and conditions in the show notes. G'day punters and welcome to Inside 50. Our superstar guest this week, Justin Lepich, 227 magnificent games for Brisbane, a triple premiership player and the man that turned Alex Rance into a superstar. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, it's great to be on. I don't know if I played 227 terrific games, but anyway, I'll take it. Uh, 227 games, great effort and a Hawthorne supporter growing up. Is that right? Uh, actually, no, I wasn't a Hawthorne oh. supporter. I was actually I was there at Hawthorne. Probably, there. Uh, well, I played three years of Little League. It's in the under-15 <laughs> squad. I was in the under-17 squad. I played five games in the under-19s, and then they got rid of me. Well, why did I think you were a Hawthorne supporter? Oh, well, probably because you would have seen a lot of pictures of me with that, that horrible brown and gold jumper, which <laughs> doesn't go well with red hair, I must say. Yeah, it doesn't look good. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I, sh- I actually probably should have been there. I almost played a whole career at the Hawks if they had listed me at the end of the under-19s year. So, um, times would have been different, which is... Would have been sad because I think it's about the only 16 years Hawthorne have been average was that I time I had a career between <laughs> yeah, 93 and I wonder if we look back through that. I don't think he would have wanted to be a defender at Hawthorne <laughs> no, no. in a few of those years. But I wonder who, as a defensive player, we took instead of Justin Lepich. No, no I, was, I was just could have been listed. So it wasn't, it was before oh, the oh, draft. Oh, yeah. The, the year after, oh. the under 18s was created. So the year after, so I was in the 19s and they had to create the list of 50 odd or whatever it was for the 92 season. And I was only 15, so I was pretty young. And they said, go back to the 18s. And if you go well, we'll pick you up the next year. Um, and I went too well and I got picked up early. So it, uh, I didn't even get to Hawthorne's pick. So um, ended up packing my bags and going to Brisbane. So Hawthorne really dropped the World Cup there. They could have had you for nothing. <laughs> and then you've gone pick four in the national draft 12 months later. Yep. Yeah, pretty much. So, um, yeah, so that's that's just the way it goes. It's um, funny, the world. But, yeah, if the under-18s come in a year later, I'd probably stay Hawthorne, uh, Hawthorne players. So, I think the players they kept, they kept Hebe, uh, Mark Graham, um, Josh Kitchen was there. Josh Kitchen, yeah. yeah. Uh, Kitchen, Scotty Crow was Scotty, Scotty Crow. They the kept Scotty the... Crow from the under-19s. There's about four or five they kept from the under-19s. Phil Mertens, you know, there's yep. a, there a few players that came yep. through. Richard Taylor, I think Richard Taylor, was he there? or maybe Yeah, Richard Taylor was there as well. Um, so, there was four or five I think they kept from the 19s that year and then, and then the rest of go. us got booted. So. <laughs> I was only 15 though, so no, I was still no, a young I know, kid, but so. you, you know if they've got talent and you know, uh, hang on, he can play different positions and yeah, I think we should try and hold on to him. But it's funny when you look back, we spoke to Glenn Archer um, on this podcast and he he was playing at Noble Park, mm. um, didn't really want to go, thought give it a go. Didn't go so well. Said, no, I'm not going back the next week. You know, virtually got begged to come back. They'll go to Sydney. Thought, okay, this I'll, I'll go to Sydney and have an experience. Like a party. And then he stayed. But he was so close to leaving. So it's, it's yeah. such a f- fine line. You know, which direction do you go? Which club do you end up at? And it's a whole different career path. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of sliding doors moments in footy. Probably in everyone's AFL career, there's a lot of sliding doors moments, whether they stay in AFL altogether in the sport or whether they change clubs or don't change clubs. So, yeah, that, I guess that was mine. It was very early on. But, yeah, that was it. But um, it would have been nice to... Wear the brown and gold with your crawl for a while. We would have got along. I would have thought. Oh, I think it worked out okay for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, though, because you were a Ford initially, so you probably had plans of being a key Ford, maybe replacing Jason Dunstall or playing alongside Jason uh, Dunstall for a few years. Oh, I wouldn't even say I was a Ford. Um, 
I played ruck, can you believe it, all through junior football. So I was always the tallest kid, then stopped growing. Um, and then I got to the 18s uh, and I played centre forward. Then our, our centre half forward and our ruck got recruited halfway through the year. That's the way she was a mid season draft back then, would you believe? And then uh, I had to play all positions. So I got to Brisbane. I don't think they knew what I was, to be honest. In fact, if you ask Scott Clayton, he'd say I was a defender from the start. Uh, he preferred me in that position. But I never played any of those spots really a lot in my whole life life because I'd played ruck pretty much the 95% of my my junior career so I was unsure coming to for what I was going to be but I started off as a forward that coming on off the bench remember you at the start if you're on the bench you're literally on the bench like I'd come on halfway through the second quarter to replace Roger Merritt you know because he'd almost yep. be tired by then kick a couple of goals come back off again and then have another spurt you yep. know a bit later on in the game so I spent I think I kicked 50 goals in the 96 season coming on and off the bench just as a spurt player. So um, probably what, not what I planned on doing, but that's sort of what happened a little bit um, under John Naldi. So, and then, as you know, just sort of grew from there and eventually ended up in the back line. And, and now, like, I, I know we're jumping way ahead, but we'll go back eventually. But um, can you believe that you went on to become a coach and then as soon as players can take a deep breath, they're off. The rotations are heavier than ever, whereas back in the day, there's no rotations. Don't come off. Just hang out there. Go man on man. Match it as long as you possibly can. And if we think you're getting a bit tired in the last quarter, we might take you off. Yeah, coming off was a crime back then. And now it's like, please get me off for a little bit. I want my I want my rest. I need my rotation. So it's a completely different mindset coming on and off the bench. I still think the players like starting on the ground on the first bounce. I think they still see that <laughs> as the test. Like, am I in the best 18 or the best 22? But other than that, it's 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 all a matter of when do I when do I get my how many minutes am I playing? You know, I only played 70% this week and not 80. All that's sort of stuff so it's, it's pretty evenly spread so yeah you use your whole 22 now back then you use your yep. 18 and then use the other guys as almost mini subs so you played at Hawthorne at junior level and then you're taken pick four in the national draft to the Brisbane Bears the Bears still a relatively new club at that time what can you remember about going up to the Bears for the first time uh well I didn't know what was happening in the draft I, I sort of got an inkling beforehand uh Peter Russo was the coach of the under 18s ex-Hawk legend as well he um he sort of said to me, I think you might go top 10 leading into the draft. That's about the only inkling I had. It's a very different time, as, as you'd imagine. It's the first ever real national draft with under-18s kids. And I was like, oh, okay, because back then it wasn't all about the kids. I think I might have been the first under-18s player taken at pick four because it was people out of the waffle and sandful and all sorts of things. That was going on for a while, so experienced players were getting um, picked up. So, But then the night before the draft, uh, I had all the, all the clubs speak to me apart from Essendon, funny enough, um, come round to my house and, and met them all. And anyway, the, the night before, the last night before the draft, Brisbane said, oh, we want to have a chat. It's the first time I'd spoken to them. I was like, oh, oh yeah, it's all right. Anyway, it was about 9.30 at night. They hadn't got there yet. I had to get up for school the next day. <laughs> and I was like, oh, man, could you just tell them not to bother about it? I want to go up there anyway and <laughs> blah, blah, blah. So I'm not going to Brisbane. No, I'm not doing that. And... Uh, all of a sudden, knock, knock on the door, because it's not like they can text ahead and say, oh, we're running 30 minutes late. It's like literally you're just waiting for them, you know, be there at 8 o'clock in the night, and then it's 9.30, and they knock on the door sort of thing. I open the door. I'm thinking, I'll answer the door, thinking some recruiter's going to be there. It's Robert Walls. Like, oh, this is serious. <laughs> the night before the draft. And they walked in. Was like, oh, and you can see almost everyone scurry, because it's the first time a senior coach had actually turned up. Normally, it was the recruiter or some lackey. And... Got in there, oh, would you like a coffee or a tea and all that sort of stuff? And we sat down and Robert, a man of very few words, said, we're taking you tomorrow at pick four. 
<laughs> there was no ifs, no buts, no would you like to come to Brisbane? There was none of that. I was like, oh, okay. And from that moment, my whole world changed forever. Um, the only team, because had Brisbane had picked two and four, West Coast had picked one and we knew they were taking Drew Banfield. It was the only pick sandwiched in the middle. Guess who had the pick? Essendon. The only <laughs> team that hadn't contacted me in the whole draft. And I went, oh, I, I think I'm going to Brisbane. So that, that was, that's the story. The next day, um, it was only on the radio back then. So I was at school with my best mate and uh, Benny Delarue and had the earpiece in. And then all of a sudden, yep, pick four. I was like, oh, see you, mate. You I go. guess I'm off to, off to Brisbane for a while. So, And yeah. how were you feeling? Were you excited to go to Brisbane or were you a bit reluctant about moving? No, I was excited because it was, to me it was like a big holiday in a lot of ways. I, I just wanted to play AFL footy as a kid. Um, so I was quite excited to go and, and get an opportunity. The beauty about playing at a lower team is you probably get more opportunity than a top team. So um, that's what you think at the time. Looking back, you'd rather go to a better team and develop nicely. Um, I was probably thrust into it a little bit. But, um, but yeah, I really enjoyed that part of it. I had, did my knee early, so I did, after four games, I had a bad knee reconstruction. So that was probably the hardest part in the, in the first year. And Robert Walls, I ran into Robert Walls about a month ago while I was filming postcards in yeah. Dalesford. So I was, I, I thought I got there early, <laughs> wow. and I thought I'll, I like to go to locations and just get there early and just you know get a taste, get a coffee, go for a walk. So I'm walking around the lake, and then I run into the great Robert Walls. So how did you find him? Oh, he was good early, and then he got tougher with every year. Wolsey sort of gave you the, the the first year; he gave you a bit of leeway with a, a little bit to sort of express yourself, but then got harder and harder. By the last year, and he's your last year in '95. It was probably my first full year crack at it, even though I was third year in the system after spending almost a year and a half out with my knee. '95 was my first real crack at it. My form was up and down, and he needed to win for his career, so we butted heads a little bit. Not really butted heads because it was more just how much I could absorb of his anger. That's probably about <laughs> as much as I didn't say much. Well, that's back. that's the way the coaches used to be back then, yeah, wasn't it? It's yeah. like, how would you like your feedback? And and I'm looking forward to drilling you, you know, about the modern player. But back then, it's, you don't get to ask about your feedback. You just cop it right between the eyes. You know what I found funny about because uh, I got coached by a lot of Hawthorne people as I sort of got up after the age of fifteen. So obviously I spoke to you about the under nineteen stuff. So I had Russell Green there, as, and then I had Peter Russo my first year at the under 18s Ended up with Lee Matthews. Um, obviously the back part of my career. I found Hawthorne people really good people, good coaches sort of respected you as a person, who you were, your differences a little bit. Even back then, I, I found them. I found, which I needed as a player, I had a couple of Carlton coaches, yeah, Rod Austin in Teal Cup and Robert Walls at the start. They're lunatics. <laughs> they're, they're just dead set freaking mad. Like, there is no sanity to either of them. Like, I remember Rod Austin in the Teal Cup that year saying, abusing me and having a crack at me, and he's saying... Buddy, concentrate. You know, what if I put you on a... There's a kid called Mark Rusciuto playing for South Australia. You know him? You know him? I bet you don't know him. But you don't know him. I said, what if I tag him? Do you know him? Have you done the work? Like, all that sort of stuff. Like, turns out, as if I'm tagging Mark Rusciuto anyway. <laughs> He's just finding an excuse to pot me. Like, they're crazy. And Wolsey was a little bit like that too. The Carl- so the couple of Carlton coaches I had, I thought, they're, they're half nuts. So I wonder if you'd track back, you know, at their coaches prior to, and then you look yeah. at the Hawthorne players. I suppose Alan Jeans was probably one who who had a bit of a caring nature, and they all speak, you know, so highly of him. So, you know, it's interesting when you say that. But uh, some of the feedback, and I'm sure, you know, during your time, you would have seen some massive, massive, you know, blowouts, um, you know, from coaches going hard at players. Was there any player that ever just copped it the most? 
Oh, well, Acker was <laughs> Acker was no matter who the coach was, they always had an eye on him for some reason. And um, I'm trying. To, the early days was it was for some of the silly sort of selfish stuff he did, probably as a player. Wolsey only had him for a year, um, so he mainly started with John Northey. And John allowed you to express yourself a little bit, probably too much. He's almost like going to Granddad's house for dinner and all he eats ice cream. You know, like it, it's like yeah, it's probably good, but we probably need a little pull this in a little bit and get a bit of control because John was very much a good coach like that and expressive but uh, under, I know under Lee it tested his patience a few times there's one of the Lee didn't spray a lot but he did get Acker one day and that's about the only time ever because Lee had this reputation walking in well, from what he had at Collingwood, which he did a fair bit of that, and some of the old Collingwood players were like, oh, oh look out, watch out for Lee, you know, he can give one. But he never actually did. He was actually really controlled. But one day he did with Acker. And um, it's funny, this story, because Lee actually was sitting around, we're in Perth, was sitting around an, an away game playing Fremantle, and we're at the dinner table, and it was myself and Acker, uh, Vossi and Lee, and we're having a chat, general chat, and Lee mentioned how he doesn't spray anyone anymore. <laughs> and we all looked at each other, because we remember the one he did give to Acker. And um, and he, he, it was after a game, and Acker was All-Australian in 99. That's what you crawl for you? 99? Yes, that's yeah. what I was um, <laughs> and, Anyway, moving on. <laughs> so this is halfway through the 2000 year, and Acker sort of was stinking it up a little bit. He didn't sort of have the year he had previously. And any, anyway, Lee, Lee, after the game, after one of his rants said, can I use his voice or not? Yeah, give it a crack. Give it a crack. You've got to. You're under him for such a long time. You have every right to. (laughs) What's funny, because at this dinner table, when we're talking about this this incident, I actually used Lee's voice without realising it in front of him. (laughs) So this is exactly what I said. Yeah, but I'll I'll get to that. But I I said to him, I said, said, remember Lee, you said to Acker, Acker, you might as well hang up that always way and it's the last one you're going to (laughs) get. And so that... I said it like that at the dinner table. <laughs> now I didn't know I did it like, at the time. So we like a couple of minutes later, we all tidy up, you know, grab our little tub of ice cream, go to our room. I get a text message. That was hilarious. That was so funny. I can't believe you did that. I'm going, what are they talking about? Like, and I said to Fossey, what are you talking about? He goes, when you impersonated Lee in front of him. I went, oh, no, I didn't, did I? That's stuff we used to say for the change room when he wasn't around. And so I did it. But it's a bit like, you know, you used to swear in front of your mum by accident because you've been doing it all day at school and yeah. then you get in the car and you accidentally <laughs> slip one out. It was very similar, a similar type thing like that. So it was it was um, good. But, yeah, so he didn't do it a lot. But that was um, – it was probably one of the more entertaining ones. How did Lee Cop been imitated? Well, he didn't speak about it. Yeah. No, no, he didn't speak about it. He um, he kind of lets that stuff go a little bit. He knows because one day actually he he sp- he actually sprayed us at training. It might have been one of those preemptive sprays though, one of the nice ones a little bit. But he's, we went. There wasn't enough voice in at training or whatever it was. So Lee came in to yell at us to. Give, give more voice, more direction or energy, whatever he wanted. And he go, and he said, he said, even I can yell and I got a squeaky voice. <laughs> and and the, the, how, how do you spray someone? Everyone just goes, <laughs> <laughs> you can see everyone bouncing up and down like, and then trying to quick, quick finish it. Let's run out to the drill because we didn't want to laugh in front of him. So, um, so Lee knew he had the, the squeaky voice. G'day punters for the chance to win a ticket for you and 10 mates into the tab Superbox, the magic code word this week is interchange. Full terms and conditions in the show notes. There's a chill in the air, but the footy's heating up. And so is Tab's same game multi, where you can combine your favourite AFL markets 
like head-to-head, anytime goal scorer and total disposals, all in the one bet to get bigger odds. It's available all season long on the Tab app and website. Build your AFL same-game multi with Tab today. Tab, long may we play. Available online for Tab account customers only. Gamble responsibly. Call Gambler's Help, 1-800-858-858. Your first two years severely knocked around by that knee injury. During that time, Brisbane had four wins, then nine wins, then ten wins. And you mentioned that Robert was a little bit agitated in that final year, and despite the fact you made the finals, he was given his marching orders. It was a very odd year because he was giving his marching orders mid-season. We'd won three games and lost maybe three and ten. We made the finals from three and ten. Funny, we, we, three and ten. Robert said, "I'm done this year." We won seven out of the last eight. When, when he, after he said that, it was almost like it was quite weird. It was almost instantaneous. We become a better team. In fact, we're probably the informed team going into the '95 final. Back then, one played eight, so we played the red hot Carlton in week one. But I think we lost by two goals. But played anybody else? That that form line of that team was actually pretty good. And then it's a very appealing job. John Norley, who had just taken Richmond to a prelim final, fell out with the Tiger board, and then moved to Brisbane to take the job. What are your thoughts of John? Because it sounded like you went from such a hard nosed coach in Robert Walls to a real character in John Norley. Yeah, as, as I mentioned before, you had completely two opposites. You had a, a really it's like having the strict headmaster and going straight to granddad's house for dinner, as I mentioned. It was two complete opposites. So for the players, it was a breath of fresh air not to feel that sort of tension around the place a little bit, that Wolsey could sort of make you feel. Senior players, if you talk to Craig Lambert, you talk to Mick McLean, you talk to even some of the older Carlton players, they loved Wolsey. I think he was a really good coach of men, like men over the age of 25. I don't think he had a lot of patience um, for kids, if they're, you know, the younger players and their inconsistencies. He probably would treat an 18-year-old as he would treat a 25-year-old, and that's probably the difference. And it was a good lesson for me later in my coaching. Is one thing I'd sort of adamant I wouldn't do is I'd not allow younger players to become inconsistent, but you've got to ex- accept that they're not going to be at their best as well. So what you've got to almost respect, and you can't be too hard on them too early. You can't treat them the same as a more experienced player that should know better. So um, there's a part of me that thinks we need to have a, a gap competition somewhere between the 18 and 22 age bracket where those 10 or 12 players can go some I wasn't ready when I started like to go somewhere else whether it's a even if it's like the American University competition I love that because you walk away you're in that age bracket you can live life a little bit you can make mistakes it's out of the media eye as well Um, you can develop you can get a maybe university degree at the same time so when you come into AFL at 21 22 you're actually ready to go. It takes time, you know, and we talk about good players coming out of the under-18s. They're still taking two or three years to show a bit of life and there's mm. something there. So it, it is a real question mark. But I, I like that thinking. I, I think there's something in that. Yeah, that's why I said it. Justin, you're welcome every week. It's always me copping these clips, so it's nice to see Croft cop one from time to time. 1996, John Norley's first season in charge. Brisbane wins 15 games, and the Bears go on to make a prelim final. It must have been a very enjoyable experience as the team spiked up the ladder. Yeah, it was, and refresh my memory. We played Collingwood in the last game that year to finish on top and lost. I think it was Craig Kelly's last game and maybe Richo's last game as well for Collingwood and they got up for the la- for their last I think they might have finished 12th on the ladder but we went to Victoria Park oh. got, got 
stuff chucked on us and all that. Yeah, Did you ever have fan. a supporter at Victoria Park? He, he used to have this massive, I don't know, I, I thought it was a dinosaur bone it was that big. He used to <laughs> hang over the fence and wave this massive bone. Did that ever get thrown or um, waved at you? Well, 96 was the year I was on the bench, like what I was saying, but there was a guy, it was the old shed, you know, the old, so it's about, I don't know, near seven foot high, had that arch at the end and used to sit in the bench at Victoria Park, but it was tin shed, the whole thing. So they, they had a designated guy that would stand behind it and bash it for four quarters. <laughs> bang, 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 bang. That's all he do for four quarters. He'd sit down. Because I, I spent a lot of time on the bench. I was saying back then. By the end, I said, I'm done with this. I got the Powerade bottle and the, with the squirter and turned it around and I just squirted everyone behind the bench. I got to soak them about three or, three or four. I said, you keep going. I'm going to keep going. So that, that, that was 96. So that was my first experience at at Vic Park, but we, lo- as I say, we lost that game and went from first to third, which really, back then, because the system was the old, was it called the McIntyre yeah. system? One eight, yeah, one eight, two seven. So we, well, three played six. We, um, I think we won easily that particular game, and then we had to play again, then play again. So you end up playing from third every week, even if you kept winning. So it, was a, it wasn't a great system for teams from three to six. No. Great system for those that... One and two. One and two. And um, I guess, yeah, if you're seven and eight, well, you probably cop cu- your punishment a little bit playing the best too. But if you're seven and eight and you happen to jag a win, you know, you're as, you're as good as the third team yeah. winning. So it was it was a funny system like that. Um, but yeah, we just didn't maximise that part of it. We could, I said we could have finished on top and you never know we might have been like the Hawks grabbed that early one before time yep. a little bit um, but yeah it didn't, wasn't meant to be it was a terrific season and then very unusual at the end of the season where the Brisbane Bears have just made a prelim final and then merge with the Fitzroy Lions what mm. are your memories from that God the merger Jeez, I've lived through a lot of things haven't I in my footy journey the merger would have to be the most interesting part of the whole thing because I believe culture is really important in a footy club and what you're basically doing is you're just grabbing pretty much oil and vinegar and mixing it together and going see how that goes so it, you've got one really strong culture that was built off the back of three or four years of hard work good drafting you know everyone sort of going the same way and you've got one, and let's be honest, Fitzroy were a complete and utter rabble in the last four or five years. They had all their best players leaving. Ruzi's gone. Lynchy's gone. Everyone f- finding reasons to get out of there. They were broke. They, they had debt. They, you know, and they were a rather insecure club because of it. So um, so you're mixing those two. And, and again, they, they, they were like, this is a takeover. This is a takeover. So you picture us. We're thinking, no, we're just happily swanning along. We're going to you know, eventually get there. And then you've just – the monkeys just jumped on the back of something you didn't anticipate culturally. I think it was good for the club from a financial model. It's terrific for the club to have some Victoria connection. So looking back, it was the best thing ever to happen. But the first two years, geez, it was difficult because even the players had a bit of an edge to them. Um, it almost felt like a, a homeless man walking into a, a rich person's party. <laughs> they were like, you know, they all were very on the back a little bit. They are very on the back foot and very defensive. Well, we were actually very – wanted to be very well welcoming and wanted to embrace it but it didn't took a while for that to sort of come through yeah and I, I think well I, I like the fact that there's still a bit of life you know with uh, the Fitzroy Lions yeah um, you know obviously with the Brisbane Lions but you had a lot of the Fitzroy players you had eight or ten eight, you were yeah. able to select you were able to select the very best to bring them into your team so that straight away you know you, you talk about um, you know some fractions um, everywhere but that players get a bit nervy, thinking, "Hang on, my spot in the side's not necessarily there anymore." So all of a sudden, you got to, yes, here we are, big wide open arms, but there's, you know, there's a little bit of doubt right throughout. 
And it's not like Fitzroy had the greatest list ever to pick from. Even I think of the eight players, obviously the quality got out of there. Chris Johnson was was the far and far and away the the number one to come out of it. Brad Boyd was struggling with his body in his last couple of seasons, so he came in, didn't contribute a lot on the field. The great um, Johnny Barker. Johnny Barker, <laughs> who ended up trading for Chappie. Uh, sorry, him and Chappie got traded for Brad Scott about two years later, so they packaged those two up together. Um, Jared Malloy obviously played a couple of years, was a good player, they ended up at Collingwood. So you, when you look at the big scheme of things, what what we got out of Fitzroy was obviously, and it, it, when you talk about premiership teams, you need everything. Every, all these little... All these little things make up a premiership team. So we, what we got out of Fitzroy, apart from the money, when you look at, it at the end, when everything, the dust settled, we got Chris Johnson, we got an All-Australian back pocket. We got Mel Michael, because that was Jared Malloy, ended up being Mel, Mel Michael. And we got Brad Scott, who ended up being a part of the, the Johnny Barker stuff. So you're talking about three of those players, premiership players, was what we got out of that whole that whole Fitzroy um, thing as well. So there's a lot there's a lot of good come out of it as well. Part, I guess I've touched on the early cultural part, but what what comes after was a was a lot of good. Now you look at the fact that the Brisbane Bears made a prelim final and merged to become the Lions, and the next year you go from ten wins, and then the following year five wins. So clearly there were teething issues. Oh yeah, there was. Yeah, we we that that. Um, well, the 97 year was a step back. Um, just clung on to, to play finals um, in 97. And in 98, it was just, you know, just everything fell out. And I, I think that was, it was probably, for a team that good to finish on the bottom, we had a crazy amount of injuries, by the way, that, that season as well. Um which wasn't great, but even having said that, it was not a team that should have finished on the bottom of the ladder. So I think that was the early teething stuff. I think that was the early cultural stuff not sticking. And it was probably the only time in my whole life I thought, I, I should probably move. I think I need to leave this footy club. So it was. A, I just didn't think it was going culturally the right way at the end of the 98 season. So, yeah, we, we were... Whilst two years earlier we're in a great spot, two years later, '98, it was it was horrific. Yeah. Did you have your management meet with other clubs? Was there any clubs that you had your eye on? You thought maybe maybe I'll go back to the Mighty Hawks. <laughs> <laughs> I just signed a three year deal. Um, right. So the year before, so that was probably and, and in fact, um, once Lee and Gubby came in, um, it's not like. They were open to anything, to be perfectly honest. But I think Lee saw me as a defender and thought I could help in that part of the ground. So I think that quickly was quashed. But no, but that, that, apart from that, the only other time I was looking to leave was actually after the second, my, after my after the knee reconstruction. After like every other young player, after two years, I just want to go home. I've had enough. I did that. I went through that, but I didn't really have any interest back in Melbourne. Uh, the Hawks, because I knew them, they had some interest. I spoke. I, Spoke to Johnny Hook back at the time. It was in the end of the 94 season. But um, they didn't really want to give up much. They didn't want to offer much. So I was like, oh, okay, they don't really want me back that badly then. Hawks at the end of that night, second season. So I ended up going back to Brisbane um, and then playing playing that out, obviously. But no, but at the end of the 98 season, I'd, yeah, I would have looked at it. But back then when you signed a contract, you signed a contract. So for me, it was like, yeah, I'd like to leave. But I just signed a three-year deal. Never even thought about leaving a club before your contract ended. In fact, whenever you used to do a contract renewal, um, if you even if when I was a good player, it'd be like in July. Oh, should we start looking at this now? Yeah. Like, there's no way you'd do that. Like, you're a year out signing them to make sure no club can steal them and take them to nice warm dinners and try and emotionally connect. So, with them. when when that all started to change, how did you get your head around that? Because you're in the the coaching phase and you're like, what? Hang on, what? He's going to leave. He's mm. going to exit our club. 
he's still contract for the next few years. So how did how did you initially take all that when you, you saw players jumping ship, or did you follow you know sports overseas? Where Are you they talking the modern around? day now? Yeah, back to the modern day. Yep. Yeah, it, it is. Weird. Oh, I actually think it's we've it's actually become a strategy now. Um, how you sign players, when you sign them for, when do you sign them before free they get to free agency and not? I, I think we just weren't. I think they're doing it. The right, the right way now, but contracts don't mean as much as they used to emotionally. I think once you signed for the time, you got your mind set on the time. I think everyone did, the club did, and the player did, and it was very rare that you trade someone in contract. It was almost like, no, nah, he's contracted, we can't do it. Um, the thought of it was just not there, but now it's like, oh, well, he's contracted, he's got four years to go. Oh, well, we'll still trade him. We'll, you know, we'll still move him on. So there's ways and mechanisms now that they've established over time that is a bit more sophisticated because I guess at the end of the day, why would you want to waste a another minute of your career, even if you're contracted or not, at a place you don't want to be at, even if you've just signed the, signed the deal. But uh, lucky that was put to bed when Lee got Lee and Gubby got there, and I, I felt that was a, a real turning point for the cultural part of the footy club. And what do you remember about Lee when he walked in at the start of the 99 season? Um, oh, probably his presence, really. I mean, one thing that, if we can go back one step to 98, we had... Um, so we all, all the stuff that was happening probably within the playing group that weren't, wasn't quite had the unity but you had different players they had their own physios they were using they didn't like the physios at the club they were using you know, all sorts of things like that were going on so Lee put a stop to all of that and sort of centralised everything um, got all new people in got his own assistants in and um, and really tidied up all the rattiness around really um, all the unprofessional stuff which was what exactly what it needed because we had enough talent to win we just didn't have the we just didn't have the right people in the right spots. What were some of the unprofessional things that were happening? Uh, well, you talk about professional. Like I mentioned, it, it's like you know you've got a physio. You know, I don't like him. I'm going to send him my own guy. And then uh, it, it says everyone doing their own thing. Uh, different different factions going out together. You go for a beer, and it wasn't it wasn't as connected. There'd be there'd be still guys talking about the merger a, a year later about you know how they have don't feel a part of it. And you, like you think that the board itself at Brisbane went from seven people to fourteen. It was like we're going to have an equal number on the on the board as well. It was just a fight from the start, you know, of just what can we all get out of this, you know, sort of thing. It was almost like a divorce. I, you know, <laughs> I want the car, I want this. You know, it was all, it was almost like that the first little bit. And once that stuff all sort of settled down, to go, hang on, we're all now one, we're one, one team. But it took a while to kind of emotionally get to that point. Um, um, as I said, the start was a little bit like a divorce, and everyone's trying to get what they can get out of it. And then it's sort of once Lee got there, was almost the turning point of bringing everything back together a little bit. And you said it was about putting the players in the right position. So was that the, the the real key to Brisbane, you know, climbing right up to the top and being, you know, being the uh, amazing side that you were for such a long time? Was that was that the key? Is like, okay, Justin Lepage, he's a backman. We're not putting him forward. Yes, he wants to go and kick some goals every now and then, but he's going back. Yeah, I think that some of it was circumstantial. Uh, so what Lee walked in with, he had Daniel Bradshaw, Jared Malloy, um, he had Alistair Lynch, Jonathan Brown was coming through as well, and myself. So not and the year before I played four games under Roger Merritt after John Northy left, Roger Roger was the first person to give him credit to say, Well put you back. So I played four games at fullback the year previously and um 
So that's that, and Lee commentated those games, so he saw that and probably saw that I was the Who one. Who the players he played on during that period? Because full forwards back then, I'll tell you. Well, what. my first game, <laughs> I don't know if you've heard of him. His name's Tony Lockett. <laughs> yeah, was he really? He played for St Kilda and then the Swans. So that, that was your first game. First ever game of fullback was Tony Lockett, <laughs> and it's funny. I grew up a St Kilda fan, so I'm um, not a Hawthorne fan. So. Um, I went to go to, to, to Moorabbin and watch him play. So he was my hero in a lot of ways. So this is pretty cool. Uh, playing, on, But I actually got some vision of him. I got the VHS in and I'm watching yep. him play. And, you know, I did a lot of research. And look, I mean, he, for a big guy, he was pretty much a lead up forward. Yep. You know, he wasn't like, he didn't take hangers. He didn't like everything over the back. So I thought, I'm going to play in front. Every fullback, I think, before him in the thousand years, played just behind him and then try to get an arm over this big bear, if he could, to try and get a spoil in. So when you say you're playing in front, so you're standing in front, front of yeah. Lockett, like a couple of metres? or Yeah, a metre in front, yeah. metre and a half in front. But you're watching the ball. So you think, yeah, if I can ball. get the ball, I'll get the ball. Yes, if I can go, yeah. get. But I was more wanting to cut his leading lane off or angle him to a different... Different lead, and the the strategy was that Matty Clark was the ruckman, the ex Adelaide and Brisbane ruckman. Never Maddie. rely on your ruckman. Yeah, to help he you said. Oh, I said, so Matty, <laughs> when it's a, like say a slow play, you run to the back of plugger. So if it comes in long and high over the back, you can just pop over the top, and I'll take his lead lane. So we had this plan, which is fantastic. <laughs> anyway, I kept him to eight kicks and seven goals. <laughs> Which is pretty good back then. Well, 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 it was funny. Oh, I'm telling you, four of them, no joke, perfect setup. There's Maddie over the back, Plugger's in the middle, I'm at the front. Yep, we're all set up. Long kick comes in, Plugger comes in, giving the biggest knee to the back and the head, and I'm thinking, oh, and I got up and I'm going, well, at least, well, at least Maddie's there and he's going to spoil the ball. Look up, Plugger's got the ball in his head. <laughs> Look at Maddie Clugger, I'm not copping these kicks in the head for nothing man what are you doing he's like sorry man and he just walk off back, back. I'm like dude you're killing me so it kind of worked in a way the strategy because he didn't he only got one one of his goals on the lead like we're darting up whereas all the rest he got in a situation like that where he sort of pushed me under the ball and and marked it so um, but anyway that was my baptism of fire a little bit then I played a couple more games there and got injured so I wasn't fit that year either I, I did. I had one of those years where I thought let's bulk up so I literally look like a man mountain I couldn't even move around the ground very I remember being blown up halfway through the third quarter of games thinking I can't even move so you've got to yeah. run especially today yeah yeah so but did that back then okay because you're probably ahead of your time really going do you know what I'll, I'll block the leading lanes I'll come off which is a no-no back then yeah. like no everyone get a man stay on your man yeah. you know follow them around uh, be dictated to but follow them around try and take their influence but then getting help Getting, hey, Ruckman, you've got to come back. I need you out the back to block. Yeah. Make sure he can't get out the back and whatever. So is that – so you were pretty much ahead of your time, really, when you think through a lot of that strategy. So is that where you thought, you know what, I love footy. Maybe one day I'll do a bit of coaching on the back of that or, no, this is all about part of preparation, who I'm coming up against each week. I need to really work out exactly what I need to do. No, I fell into coaching. Uh, I think that part of it for me was a little bit, well, like, I, I never had the best first five metres. I probably over the course of 30 metres, I think I was sharp enough. But the first five, I, like Mel Michael had that. He just had the, you know, that explosive stay on the lead, get a hand in. He had that. I probably didn't have that as a as a defenders I had to play in front a little bit more than most to counteract that and cut some angles a little bit so that that was that and it also gave you the opportunity you said to come forward and intercept or come forward and affect another contest so I was always looking to 
play on my guy, but also help out someone else. A lot of people think that I went in the mindset of not playing on my guy, but I actually wanted to do both. I wanted to play on him and play on someone else at the same time. That was probably my mindset going into a game. And if he was going to a spot I didn't think it was any good, well, I could actually drift off a bit more. If he was going into a really good spot, well, I'd go, well, geez, I better tighten up a little bit more. So I probably played the game a little bit like that, which is pretty much how the modern player plays it now. So I'm kind of... Well, you think of Richmond now, and yeah. obviously your heavy involvement with Richmond, you think of Rance, one of the best, mm. you know, playing off his man. You know, obviously he's, you know, great fitness. Uh, and Grimes, very much the same. So it's very much Justin Leppage style, really, if you go back and look at some of the tapes. You what? know, the VHS. The old in. <laughs> oh, look at the way Justin oh. Leppage plays. That's very much Richmond-like yeah. these days. And not only just... Richmond, obviously, everyone else then flows on, depending on your personnel. Who can we put there? Who can play that role and not necessarily get pantsed all the time and actually have some understanding of where their player is? Yeah, I just thought it made sense. I mean, I never understood the defender where your player's on the other side of the ground and you've got your arm across him when he's 70 metres from the ball and not a danger. Why don't you push back to goal a little bit and help out someone else. I never, that was probably, I'm always a white person and it frustrates the living heck out of my wife because I'm always asking, <laughs> why are we doing this? Bad time during COVID as well to ask why a lot. <laughs> in a time that doesn't make a lot of sense at all. But um, but yes, yeah, so I'm that sort of person and always been that and thought through processes. So um, maybe, I think that's why, I, I mean, I got into coaching really because I had a year and a half to go a contract and I, and I don't think they wanted to sack me and they didn't know how to do it. So they said, how about we uh, get you in as a coach? We really want you as a coach. But um, that's how I fell into coaching more than anything. But um, but I've always thought analytically um, when I played the game even. Yep. Now, Brisbane go from strength to strength and in 2001 go on to make the grand final against Essendon. And I want to read out the Brisbane Lions lineup because I think you need your memory pricked at just how strong it was from back to front and especially in the middle. The back line, Chris Johnson, Justin Lepich, Daryl White. Then we've got Nigel Lappin, Chris Scott, Marcus Ashcroft. Jason Ackermanis, Michael Voss, Robert Copeland, Sean Hart, Jonathan Brown, Luke Power, Daniel Bradshaw, Alistair Lynch, Martin Pike, Clark Keating, Simon Black, Brad Scott, and on the bench, Bo McDonald, Craig McRae, Tim Norton, and Mel Michael. Not many weaknesses there. <laughs> Ooh. Did Robbie Copeland used to get you? Did he go, yeah, 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 I played on him a few oh, times. Was yep. he, what was he like? Was he a bit annoying? No, yeah, but I, I respected that. Yeah. Like, you know, if, if I didn't get that, I thought, you know, how good is this? But, um, like, you know, I also used to get a bit offended, though. I'm like, why isn't someone coming to me? But, um, no, he he did a good job for a long time for yeah. you guys. Like, was it him mainly or Brad? <clears throat> um, I, well, I had, I had Hart there for a little while, and then I yeah, had... Sean Hart, yeah. Um, and then sometimes we'd just go sort of one-on-one with, like, a Voss at times, depending yeah. on, you know, the, the style of footy and whether or not we were trying to take you on. Yeah. I don't know why we would try and take you on, uh, yeah. our team at the time, but... <laughs> That's what would happen. But, I thought uh, I had yeah, a couple Copeland. of wins during the period, though, against Brisbane. There's one of the yeah, Gabba, but, you know, it's, it's, and... it's, it's that mental lapse. It's like, yeah. oh, Hawthorne, you know, they want to stand in the shade. Uh, we'll be <laughs> oh, right. yeah, oh, let's talk about that. <laughs> wow, the stand um, in the shade game. But, yeah, so that happens a lot. But that side is incredible. And as soon as you're saying some of those names, I think coach, assistant coach, coach, you know, so nearly on every line, you've got 
some coach involved in AFL footy these days. Yeah, you find success pre success though. So what will happen, and, and you'll find the Richmond generation, and it, well, we see with Hawthorne now. You know, Sam Mitchell coming out, becoming a coach. You'll find more of those guys that come out will be wanted in some capacity, um, whether it be from a media perspective or a coaching perspective, administrative perspective, because you've seen success. And I'm a believer in that. Success does breed success. So if you've seen the environment, if you've felt it, you've touched it. I think it's a positive to see really bad environments too. That's why we the merger, I think, is one of the great things that's happened to me in my life, as bad as it's been. It teaches you a lot about people and at their worst as much as at their best. And they're the, they're the things that you can go, all right, I now know what a good culture looks like and I know what a poor culture looks like and I know the actions around them. And it's, and it's awesome. And once you've got that level of detail, it's, um, I think it's a massive advantage. So that's why people get drawn to people that have had those wide ranges of experiences. Let's go back to 2001. You're up against... Essendon, the defending premiers in the grand final. What can you remember about the week? Oh, what do I remember about the week? Um... Oh, not much. I'm getting old, aren't I? Crawford's not 20. really. Your memory's pretty bloody good. It's, it's 20, 20 years ago. Oh, I guess guess for us, I spent most of that season, 2001, out of the... I did three hamstrings from rounds three to 19. So I spent a lot of that time on the sidelines and a lot of that that period where we won 16 in a row to the grand final. I missed the first sort of, what was that, eight or nine of those games. Um through injury so I watched the boys sort of get back together and, and, and sort of start that run so I, I missed I missed the part of it I, I was fresh as a daisy I was seven games in basically for my season and then footy was stopped so by the time grand final hit, you, you, it's almost your peak condition you know you're seven eight games in you're match hardened you're fit you're seeing the game well but you're also not fatigued you're not you're not at the other end of it where you're like oh looking for the end so I thought I was in as peak physical shape as I possibly can be so I was really excited for it but um I thought we had Essendon's measure based on the just the way things were going. I mean, you guys ran them to a goal the prelim the week before, and, the, yeah, yeah. and they, they looked like they were just limping. They they were the team that were limping to the line, so but a very talented team. So they definitely had the talent, but we were pretty confident going into that game that we had the run. It was a perfect Melbourne day at the MCG. Beautiful, wasn't it? Just under 92,000. The first grand final I ever attended. And at halftime, <laughs> the Bombers were 14 points up. You overran them in the second half. What was it like to win the first flag? It was uh, It was awesome. It was, um, it was what you dreamed to do as a kid, uh, to to win your grand final. You know, that, that sort of stuff you don't think you're ever going to do. Um, and that's where you feel pretty fortunate to be able to do that. I know Crawford did it really late in your career, but it, it's... Um, yeah, it was awesome. Um, it's, a, it's an amazing feeling. You kind of think you're never going to be that guy that's going to actually achieve it um, and are you going to achieve it. But um, just when you finally do it, it's almost a monkey off the back, the first one, I think, a little bit. It's almost like, God, I'm not a complete and utter loser. Um, <laughs> or do you, do you kind of feel like I don't want to be... Like, and I'm not th- saying that's the case for guys that haven't, but it, it, you just feel like it, it, it's 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 a, it's a pinnacle, isn't it, of, of achievement. Of, of those that like the team achievements, of course, some like to... The more individual I'm with Brownlow's all the time at this bloke but <laughs> yeah. I was there for the Brownlow when Crawford won it 99 in Sydney yeah, what yeah in Sydney time, that was very you know. it, was, it was very good did you uh, celebrate with him afterwards oh no he's, he's with his mates you know the oh, me- no, media no. mates and, d- no he was invited back I was invited I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was the only Brownlow ever went to was it really? Yeah, because every other year we in Brisbane we're playing grand finals, so never got to. So come as back. a defender, you get invited to Brownlow. Obviously, you had a, a great year, all Australian year. So, how many votes? Being a fullback, I had eight or nine. Did you really? That's the most. No. That was huge. Yeah, yeah, it was huge, and that was my best year, ninety nine by a mile. As a fullback, yeah, as a, by has a mile. The, was has my a fullback ever got more than eight or nine votes? 
in I a Brownlow medal. I couldn't recall in recent times. I reckon, there we go, history buffs, go to work. But so you're saying but it's a midfielder's award? Well, uh, quite obviously, yeah. Used to, yeah. Used to, well, sometimes forwards, but now forwards aren't allowed to kick I, a lot I, of goals. I so. 12 goals 12 that year. Did you? From <laughs> fullback. Yeah. There's, there's a game or two where I got moved forward um, this late. But yeah, I had a lot. Of, I was very aggressive, as you, you mentioned. Just, yeah. You took on Wayne Carey. <laughs> so, yes, yes, so that, yes. When you started off, your very first game fullback. Plug a locket, meter yeah. in front of him. Yeah, the meter Obviously, the sounds meter by 1999, <laughs> you were like 300 The meter grew. The meter grew. <laughs> so, uh, who did you play on grand final day? Who did you start on? Uh, well, it was very interesting because Essendon went a little taller. Uh, one thing that Sheen's always loved, the stretching the oppo defence with his height. <laughs> it's the one thing I don't probably believe in as a coach, but he used to love that. So, he had Alessio down there and Lucas and Lloyd. So, I started on Lloydie at the very start. And Chris Scott had Scotty Lucas and Steve Alessio was down there. So at the first bounce, pretty much Daryl White ran off and Mel Mockle ran on. Uh, so I played on Lloydie for the first half and Scotty Lucas was the one getting off the chain. So he kicked four in the first half um, on Chris. Sorry, Chris. Um, and then at the halftime, they made the switch. So I went to Scotty Lucas and that's when Mel went to um, uh, Lloydie. And then that we undersized Daryl White on an Alessio type, yep. you know what I mean? A little bit. And that worked a bit better in the in the second half. And from that point, that's what they were. So then Mel played on Lloydie pretty much every any time since that yep. day. And I played on Scotty Lucas pretty much every time uh, after that particular point. Yeah, it's worked a bit better. So, yeah, so that, that was that was good. That tended to work well. As I said, the third quarter was where we won it. A lot of run, and then we knew in the last quarter we could we'd have the the stamina. They'd proven the previous month they their last quarters were their worst, so uh, we'd had the confidence to know we could run it run it out. Six goals to one in that third quarter, you go on and win the premiership, and Sean Hart wins the Norm Smith Medal. Twelve months later, play it against Sam. You're back in the grand final this yeah. time against a Collingwood team that surprised. To be honest, in making the grand final, they were probably not as highly regarded as teams like Port Adelaide and whatnot. They're there. It's a shocking Melbourne day. You're a hot favourite. It was a real arm wrestle, though. Yeah, it was. Um, it was a different year because 2002 was, our, I think, our best year as a club. It was. It was. It was we were the. You know, I think that was the best we were in that whole side phase. The fittest we were, um, the best we were as a as a team. Um, but the, the last day is what it is. It was the wet and scungy day that that that. It actually helped Collingwood. In fact, one of our losses throughout the year was against Collingwood. There were a few losses we had. So that would have probably given them some confidence too, um, even though it was only by a point or so at Etihad Stadium. They knew they would have had a bit of comfort going in. So one interesting thing though, uh, McGough in the game of this previous tag, Michael Vossen, did a really good job. Um, and it probably would have suited that matchup. You know, big-bodied guy, you know. And in the grand final, they didn't pick him. They decided to go with Jared Malloy and, and keep him out of the team. Really wet day. He'd, he'd won the Anzac medal in the wet of the G. It's funny how those little things in tight games, you sometimes wonder, that one selection, what did that made... Because Jared only sort of played a bit on and off role as a forward. Difficult day for a forward, um, really, those conditions. But... Um, but yeah, it was amazing. Oh, I didn't have a no, I didn't have a great day like most of us didn't. Um, I think it was a six possession, fifteen spoil sort of day, which is almost what you have to accept with your lot in life. Sometimes as a key defender, you got to accept what happens upfield or ha- what the conditions tell you. You often have to play what what what's around you, and that's the one danger you can get in with as a defender. Is if you want the game to be played out a certain way in your head before it happens, you can get yourself into trouble. Because I didn't like that. I didn't I didn't want to wet. 
I wanted a day where I could use my run and, and maybe do some things, but it just it just wasn't to be. Um, so it was a difficult day. They hung in there, didn't they? Oh, they, they really were, good. Blue yeah. collar, blue, co- blue collar day was blue collar hard work. Yeah, Scotty Burns, Michael Voss, uh, you know, clash. It, it does make sense when you look back. You know, now you're thinking. Hang on, if, if someone's done a job on the star player, Michael Voss, not a bad player, um, mm. it does make a lot of sense. Wet conditions, it's like, and I'm sure, I'm sure, um, you know, going back through, you know, in the in the coach's box over the, the next weeks when they evaluate where did it all go wrong, I'm sure that that name, McGough, was up there mm. highlighted thinking... Why didn't we stick with what we had? But anyway, you, you've got to kick goals to win grand finals. Yeah. We know Malloy can do that. I don't know if you've got the game there, but I'm sure it's something in the second quarter we had a massive dominant period and kicked something like seven points, like something ridiculous like that. I mean, I think it was the sort of game where we could have, there was that one period where we just could have blown it out in a really wet day. If you put a four or five goal margin on the opposition at halftime going in a wet day, it probably might have been enough to sort of depress them down a little bit. But when we had our really good patch, um, we just didn't didn't capitalise on the scoreboard. So, yeah. At halftime, both teams had kicked four goals. You guys had had 12 behinds as well. Yeah. And so you were eight points up at halftime yeah. and you had yeah. absolutely dominated that second quarter but had nothing to show for it and you didn't kick a goal in the first quarter. Yeah. It was just a real arm wrestle. So... Were you still feeling confident we're the best team, we're the running premiers, we will find a way to win this game? Or as you kept missing these opportunities, was the little voice in your head saying this could come back to haunt us? Well, the, I think that only came in with, oh, we never had a clock back then, five minutes to go. Um, I think it might have been Josh Fraser kicked their last goal and it was on me. And um, <laughs> it would have been like, oh man, really? We're going to lose the unlosable? Like uh, that... that that did enter my mind a little bit, but I think we quickly kicked the next one. Lynchy kicked it, and I was like, all of a sudden, straight back to three-point game or whatever it was, um, almost instantaneously. So, um, and then we kicked the last couple with obviously Aka kicking the sealer. So, um, yeah, so it was, um, yeah, it was, it was because we just couldn't break them. Um, and but it was again one of those days where inaccurate. You know, I remember sitting at all every miss was like, oh man. One thing as a defender, and they, they would still do it now. Every time a forward miss, it's, it's like you just want to grab them and go, come on, man. <laughs> it's not Seriously. that hard. Is it? It's not hard to oh, kick a goal, really, is it? Oh, you, you just want because well, from certain it, spots, it's not that hard. Well, every goal they kick at that end gives you a buffer to make a mistake up the other end. So yeah. you're just taking away all our any any of our mistakes up our end. So it's a bit of that game of cat and mouse. Of the three flags, was that one more relief? Uh, a little bit, and uh, I think the first one's the re- relief. Um, it was, the second one it was, it was actually mixed emotion for a lot of us because a lot of us didn't play well. It was quite a frustrating game. It's it's like um, we almost had to snap out of it to say you've just won a grand final because a lot of us were like expecting we should have won by ten goals. I think given the expect our own expectations, the expectations by the public. But when you look back at Collingwood, was still a good team. The team they had in the wet. It actually, everything was almost going suited for them to get the best out of their performance. It probably, it probably makes me looking back even further more proud of that group to say we weren't just a one-trick pony team. We weren't just a dry weather day. We could be a dry weather team. Um, we, we could be a wind. We had a game plan that can go well in the wind if you needed to because we can mix it up. If if it was a wet day, we can we can mix it mix it up in a slog as well. So that's the one. I think that's the 
one part of that team. Not many teams would be able to have all those things go against them and still come out on top. So that's probably the thing about our, our team that probably separates from some of the other dynasties. G'day punters for the chance to win a ticket for you and 10 mates into the Tab Superbox. The magic code word this week is interchange. Full terms and conditions in the show notes. There's a chill in the air, but the footy's heating up. And so is Tab's Same Game Multi, where you can combine your favourite AFL markets, like head-to-head, anytime goal scorer and total disposals, all in the one bet to get bigger odds. It's available all season long on the Tab app and website. Build your AFL Same Game Multi with Tab today. Tab, long may we play. Available online for Tab account customers only. Gamble responsibly. Call Gambler's Help, 1-800-858-858. One thing I can remember about the Brisbane Lions, apart from them being a bloody good side, is that big and strong. Mm. Like, you know, even their midfielders, Michael Voss, he's big and strong, you know. So, uh, whereas you look at teams today... It's lean and mean and they're going to be running mm. machines, which obviously, you know, a style of play and, and you want defensive zones and you want them to move a lot more and you want everyone to move a lot more. But, you know, that was like it was a, a real focus. And you even see with Chris Scott and some of his coaching, he he has a team that's big and strong, you know, in the modern day, really, when you think of Dangerfield and some of the bigger types that he has around the footy. So, you know, obviously that was a, a bit of a focus. I know you mentioned that you got really big, but you were still Big and strong, even when you pulled it back a touch. Yeah, we're a pretty powerful team. There was a very clear recruiting strategy from that that era. We had a lot of guys that that was our natural way we played, and and, and it was literally projected through our culture as well. There's a little bit. You, this is the way you play. If you don't, if you don't want to smash in, well, you're not going to play. Um, so it was a very e- easy indicator for our younger players to come in. If anything, it might you might reflect back and go, we're a bit hard on our young kids at times. You know, we, we did we did we sort of a bit uncompromising. But then you hear the Geelong team of the next dynasty were almost identical in their expectations of their kids as well. So um, it would have been a tough environment for a young boy to come into and learn the ropes. Um, as I said, I had a tough initiation by the coach, not the players <laughs> at, at Brisbane. Whereas imagine coming in, all your teammates are like. You know, ripping your head off. So it would have been hard for him. 2003, week one of the finals, Collingwood beat you at the MCG. Both teams go on to clash again on grand final day. But unlike the last two years, you're probably going in as an outsider. The outside world expects Collingwood to break their premiership drought. But Brisbane were magnificent that day. You couldn't get an absolute role reversal on the year before because, um, you know, we were a bit banged up in 2003. It was probably the... the Probably the last, 0304 were pretty banged up, but 03 was probably the worst of them, and we ended up coming out on top. But um, yeah, that first game we lost to Collingwood. Um, you know, we, I think we snuck in the third position, had to play at the G. They were really good that night. But one thing Lee was always good at, he's a great coach on the rebound. You always knew after you'd have that loss, he got a cider on what the opposition were doing and can actually implement, implement some things. We just had to meet them again, I guess. I think week two we won pretty easily and then had to go to Sydney for the prelim. Now, Sydney were pretty new to the finals um, stage. They'd beaten us twice that year. So if any team were going confident, they're going to take us on at their home deck. Well, it wasn't really their home deck. We had to play at the, um, what's the, the oh, showgrounds? No. Yeah, ANZ so, Stadium. Stadium. So it wasn't their, their home at the SCG, but it was ANZ Stadium. But um, but yeah, that was, and then that, that well, I think it was all done off the back of that last quarter. Um, yeah, the, the preliminary final against them. I think we kicked seven goals to nothing in, in a close game and then just blew them, blew them away. So they yeah, limped to the grand final, but geez, we didn't play like we limped to the grand final, that's for sure. Were you confident internally? 
um, on grand final day. Oh, no, I, I went into that game really concerned. So uh, I, I, after that year, um, I had three major things happen. I needed a wrist reconstruction, I needed a shoulder reconstruction, and I needed to get married. Now, I, so I had to do all those three of those things. What order? Anyway, well, I was hanging on by a thread, really. I remember there was, there was moments with my what people like when you're watching that Fife now, it keeps popping out every two seconds. I was going through that and um, just thinking, oh, I just don't do it. And so you got a wrist that I had heavily strapped that needed to be reconstructed on the same arm as I had a shoulder that needed to be reconstructed. So my right arm was pretty, pretty hopeless. Um, if I went to spoil, if I spoiled high, it had actually popped pop my shoulder half out so I'd have to be careful how I spoiled as well because this is the weight of the ball would you almost jar it out a little bit so I'd have many times where I'd go numb for four or five minutes at a time and then have to sort of almost play with my arms sort of hanging there and then it's sort of get a bit of feeling back and go again so I was going into the grand final thing and I'm going to I'm going to, it's going to be three minutes into the first quarter I'm going to just fall on the ground and then and then I'm going to be off and then I'm going to let the team down. I I, I was a, I was very uptight going into the 03 grand final from a personal just worried about myself getting through and and not embarrassing myself on a national stage. I think I I never really thought like that a lot as a person, but that was one of the rare times that I did. I and I thought just given the experience, I cramped a bit as a kid, and I thought I'm going to take some cramp stuff because I got a feeling I'm using up a lot of nervous energy, and I did. And I, st- I cramped halfway through the third, even by taking all that. <laughs> so I spent like halfway through the third to almost the end of the game off the ground um, through cramp, which I hadn't cramped for six years. Uh, it was quite bizarre. Um, so um, yeah, so they get the pickle juice straight into you. Oh, I didn't have Wasn't any of that stuff. Back then. Well, maybe if we still had the IVs, Croft, maybe I got to <laughs> throw an IV into me. My story with the IVs, I was so disappointed that we coun't have like saline drips. And when we finally afforded them, you know, maybe a year later, half time during a match, we went to do it. And mine was two years out of date. <laughs> so that was it. That was my experience. I said, nah, I'm not doing that. So on we go. <laughs> yeah, that was that was crushed pretty quickly. It's funny because going back to the 01, the Essendon players had the little, almost a black armband around the, the lower part of the wrists, almost like the, because I think Sheeds was the one who bought it up. To, to just to get rid of it, um, ironically, Essendon. <laughs> but uh, there's only a handful of guys that used to do it. You know, mainly the, the mid, midfield yeah. group that used yeah. to do it. I mean, you couldn't physically get through everyone to do it in the game. So there'd only be three or four that actually bought into it. So it was made a bit a bigger deal than what it was. But anyway, no, I, I was I was jealous with all that because you know I was into my athletics and my cycling and all that, and I I just knew. Oh, hang on, you know, there's nothing wrong with what they're doing it's just why are we not doing this and, and with Hawthorne it was we weren't able we, we couldn't afford mm. um, you know to do stuff like that and I'm like if we can recover at half time you know a lot better than how we have been that's certainly going to help us but the only thing on top of that is you still got to get the footy you still got to dispose of it under mm. pressure where you want it to and you still need you know, everyone contributing. So there's still a few factors in that. That was our thing. I mean, I think all the good cultures or dynasties or whatever you want to call it, they have a thing that they hang their hat on, that they're better, better than someone else at. I think Richmond, they, they've gone down the connectedness pass and we, we were actually better connected than any other team. We worked together. That's our thing. You look at Hawthorne, they had the kicking, they had that, you know, that class. They had, we are, we are just so much better at you in that part of it. And then our era was about, we, we will, 
we will be as diligent. We will be as professional. We're the most professional team. We have the best facilities. That's what they, when the Gabba was back then. Uh, they, they used to try lots of things within the rules, of course. You always got to prof- prof- um, you know, make sure you say that because everyone always thinks the bad thing. But the IV drips is a good example. They had a... Um, uh, what's the underground healing one? The ca- the chamber, the hyperbaric chamber. Oh yes, yeah. Brisbane yep. had their own hyperbaric chamber for healing, so they they got that in to help the players after games to do that. Again, hundred percent legal. Uh, we used to do the uh, hypoxic training training as well. So you have yep. to, you know we used to like going up to altitude really. It's just the machines used to breathe it in, and I, I didn't like it, so I did it like once. I was like, I'm out of here, I'm done. So a lot of guys didn't even do half of this stuff, but they used to provide a lot of things for guys that used to want to actually just keep getting that half a percent yeah. better because yep. as you said you've still got to kick the footy it's not going to help you not, not miss targets it's not going to help you not put your head over the footy it's yep. not going to make you change any of that stuff but it might if you're interested in it give you that quarter of a percent edge so that was the Brisbane thing and like even we used to travel um, under the clouds to away games you know and I don't know if that even does anything but you know <laughs> we had a pilot used to look up yeah we'll travel a bit lower for you so if, if you don't, you're not as yep. you know your legs aren't as dead when you get to Perth or wherever you're going so Again, I don't even know if that stuff worked or any of it, but it, it used to make the guys feel like we're the most professional unit in the competition. Even if it wasn't working, it's that placebo. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I think it's working. Yeah. But like that, you talk about hypoxic masks and stuff like that. We couldn't afford that, so we do, used to do hypoxic training in the water. So we just have to swim and not, yeah. you know, uh, take any breath above and the water, under, and, yes. and that yep. was the best way we could train all that. But um, what, whatever works, and I, I like the fact that you go, okay, you always look at the club and, and go, okay, what's our what's our one thing that we think we're better? Is it our kicking? Is it our fitness? Are we more professional? Um, and the thing, you know, when I look at Richmond, when you say the way that they connect, um, you know, during their successful period, is one thing that it really annoys me. Everyone goes, oh, they just, they just make it up as they go. And I'm like, hang on. No, absolutely not. These guys have been trained to have unbelievable understanding. They've rehearsed so much mm-hmm. into the way they want to do things. Yes, they don't know exactly which side it's going to bounce or whatever, but the way that they open up and connect – so it's interesting you say, you know, is it connectability or, or was that the word that you used? Yeah, it was, both on the field and I think within um, roles as well. They've, you know, they really respected the role each person played within it as well, both on the field and off the field. So uh, that, that was their thing. I, Richmond's definitely the best team I've been involved in. Not the best individuals, but um, I think when I played at Brisbane, it was much about you know, 18 1v1s overpowering the opposition as opposed to 18 units beating 18 units. I think that that was Richmond's strength is to be able to work together to get the result, always having the right people in the right time at the at the most amount of occasions. That was always and, – and, and having Dusty. <laughs> and, and, and all, of course, we underestimate that um, is, is the handful of class that's in that team as well. Yeah, you need those X factors, don't you? But – You've got to have your blue-collar workers. You've yeah. you got the same guy, you know, Graham. What does he do? He gets in, does all the little things. Yeah, Cam McIntosh on the wing runs back and forth all day. Like Coaching w- those little kicks. Doesn't just those little 20-metre, 30-metre kicks, you know, like they, they know exactly what they're doing. They know exactly their role, and that's the great thing about a, a, a wonderful side. You can connect it back to Brisbane Lions when you guys were, were dominating, um, obviously during the, the Richmond period as well when Geelong had been really successful. You just... Even Essendon early days um, back in the 90s, we knew what Mark McCurry was going to do. We knew he'd lead up at the half forward, you know, yep. always use the ball really well. You just, you have great understanding of what everyone's role. You go back to Wayne Carey, you know, 
you know what he's going to do. It's just the way that the team opens Dominate. up and allows, yeah, <laughs> just win the, the game off his own boot. But um, I like the fact that you've got to, as a club, what's our one thing that makes us different yeah. to every other club? What do we do better than everyone else? 2004. What's your one thing, Quinny? <laughs> Working with superstars. Is it a footy trips? Oh, yeah, it is. That's right. <laughs> Nightlife on footy trips. Why have you gone red? 2004, the Brisbane Lions back in the grand final, this time up against Port Adelaide. Looking for an historic fourth straight flag. You're winning at halftime, albeit by a yep. single point. Unfortunately, though, the power just too good in the second half. And the Lions, it did look like a lot of injuries and a big, long four years had probably taken its toll. Yeah, it's funny because is, is that Port Adelaide team, the, when you ranked the four grand finals, was that the best team we played? I'm not sure. They probably wasted them. was probably the best team we played in 01. And then, you know, and they're probably close to the, the Collingwood teams the next, next season. So... We had a pretty good – almost when we played Porter, we beat them at home. They'd have a pretty good record at their home. So it was sort of that sort of that sort of jostle. So it was a good a good battle for so many years. It was the first time, obviously, they were almost the chokers back then because they kept missing the grand final and not and not getting there. So they were fully fit. We were we were not we weren't good in a lot of areas. Uh, as you mentioned, we were we weren't we weren't physically in great shape. Our forward line, Brownie, was playing with a broken leg. Basically, Lynchy went into the game with a quad that was no good. Um, we lost our two ruckmen, so I think Dylan McLaren was rookie share and like doing that role against Leiden Brogan for, for you know, which is the best ruck pairing in the competition at that point in time. So it was uh, it just didn't work in a lot of a lot of levels. And then we lost Sean Hart, our best tagger, in the prelim final. He broke his face, gone, so he missed the game. So whenever you know, pick any one of the Port Adelaide uh, fleet-footed brigade got out of the chain, which happened to be you could pick Pickett, you could pick Burgoyne, you could pick any one of them. Uh, we had no one there to actually put the clamps on either. So it was um, it was just one of those days where nothing went right. And so we did. I thought we did well to be in front at half. It was actually a really pivotal moment where Acker was going in. For, we were seven points up. He was having a shot and goal, and Damien Harwick must have given him a little one of his toe steppers or something <laughs> like that. But Acker pushed him and in the near the face the area and Dimmer did the whole dive back and then reversal in front of goal. That would have put us 14 points up or something like that around that mark in going into half time. Went straight down the other end. They kick a goal and the siren goes. I remember the depression of that. It was almost like that. That we needed that 13 point buffer, like. You need to eat. It was like we needed it so badly, and and just to literally hand it, hand it to them, and and so they go in with no real, no no nothing to really worry about. When we'd fight a lot of our guns, that was probably that. I remember that thinking, God, we didn't need that like that buffer because we knew with Port Adelaide psychologically. Not saying they were brutal, but we, when you get when you get when they throw a few punches against them, they they don't react as they didn't ever used to react as hard as a lot of the hardened teams. So you think if you can just get enough in front, they might collapse. Even though they probably had the better team and the fitter team on the day, but when when that that happened, I, I felt a lot of us walked. In. We walked in at half time. Remember, we had our heads down. You know, they were up and about because we actually had the side-by-side race that year because of the development of the MCG. So we're right next to each other walking off. And um, I don't think, oh, we're flat as a pancake. Like, this is not good. And um, I tried a little bit of buzz-up stuff, you know, get it, get us going and I was half pot and port. And guess what? Guess what it did? Our bloke said nothing. And then I just fired them up. Oh. <laughs> so they're bouncing up off the walls and, oh, you're all old and you're all gone. We're going to, you know, that... 
I went, oh, that didn't work. <laughs> so, <laughs> I thought maybe we'd get something, but it actually didn't. And they, and and they, yeah, they they had the energy in the day. It was very clear, even with things like that. We, we were, you're shooting every one of your last bullets by the end. It's like, okay, I think that's the end. So that was a really, really bad day. And Lee Matthews gave a bit of a spray post match. He did. He, uh, um, it was interesting because he had a lot of guys that fought hard for him over a long period of time. But um, you know, he said you blew it or something like that. Uh, which was an interesting choice of language because um, he's always been about the team the whole way through, not not so much the individual. I, I think, I, but mind you, we all say silly things at times and things we regret, even even the greats like Lee. So uh, I was more a bit upset because it was Alice Lynch's last game and uh, Craig McRae's last game. It was, it was really the evidence of the end of the era a little bit too, or the start of the end, um, because the players we were bringing in weren't replacing the talent of those going out and slowly, bit by bit... The retirements, you know, you had more retirements than recruits by the end, so it was crazy. And I, I reckon that's where football really changed a touch, you know, apart from Damien Hardwick, he would be fine these days uh, playing for free kicks and throwing himself back like that. <laughs> but, um, you know, it changed body types because Port Adelaide, you know, focused on their fitness and run, and whereas Brisbane Lions, you guys were massive and big and strong. So it's funny how football works. Obviously, you know, Teams that do well, coaching groups that do well, everyone gets poached, everyone gets picked. Um, so then all the other clubs on the back of that are like, oh, hang on, maybe we need to start running a bit more. Maybe we need to, to be a touch leaner. So I, I, I thought that grand final was a real transformation into the future of AFL football. Yeah, and you have to be lean and fit now to play the game. Your expectations to get up and down the field. It wasn't that when I played, that's that's for sure. It's a completely different beast. Um, yeah, you, you know, my... The, the centre-half back is not what it, it was. So I was probably one of the last that sort of finished up. And then they become sinewy a little bit, you know, <laughs> as players. They become more leaner and, um, you know, a little bit more side-to-side players, all readers of the play. So, um, yeah, become a completely different role. End of 2000, St Kilda offered you $2 million over three oh, years. Oh, so we're going back. Take this it. would have made you the highest paid player <laughs> in the league. How hard was it to knock that sort of money back? Uh, I never that, played for money, so it wasn't... Didn't that's I, your team. There's a team you supported as a kid, even though I got the Hawks wrong. <laughs> the Saints, hey, Tony Lockett, that's, just, that's my team. Yeah. Maybe... I look back now and think... Did you, you think hard about it? I look back now and think, geez, the cash should be handy now. But <laughs> the, uh, no, the not, not really. We we'll, we'll, were just about to make a run at something good and St Kilda were going back to the bottom again. Oh, so from a football perspective and a money perspective, it's like, well, would I want to start this all over again? And mind you, I'd spent, there's enough pain being a St Kilda supporter for that time. <laughs> I thought, oh, do you think it's been 1966? It's a long time like since a, since a win. Oh, look, of course you want to play for the team you support, but um, not not when you've just you know built your built everything right to the crescendo where you think you're an opportunity and then and then to say no, so I'm going to go back to square one again. I was a very it would have been too risky for me. I think you would have missed a lot of sleep too if you went to the Saints and the Lions oh, won yeah. three flags in the next five years. Yeah, my good mate Stevie Lawrence left that year so and and did that. So he went from Brisbane and and went to St Kilda, which the team his dad played for, and he did miss it. And um, you know, I, I know in the back of the mind, as stubborn as he is, he'd he'd, he'd, he'd you know, he'd hate the fact that, that what he's missed out on. But I, I don't think he didn't. No one ever takes back their journey. Now, looking back through your magnificent footy CV, the one thing that stands out a little bit is 227 games, which indicates your body let you down a lot. How hard was it with all those injuries throughout your career? 
Um, 227, still okay. It's I mean, magnificent, but a man with your... games for quick. I'm saying a man <laughs> as good as you that played for as long as you did, left yeah. a few games on the table through injury. Um, do you want to play for as long as you possibly can, or do you want to play in successful teams? You know, three in a row is pretty bloody <laughs> successful if you ask me. I'll talk to you, Crawford. Jeez, I'm on the back foot here. <laughs> nah, I was I, trying to praise um, your toughness. Well, funny enough... The, the average lifespan of an AFL footballer is how long, you know, Quinny? Well, this bloke hasn't got the average ability. It was way above average. The average no, so, footy so career, maybe four that, years? Everyone, four years? Yeah, it, it's just it's about three and a half years, you know, and that's what a lot of mm. people don't realise. Like, the average lifespan of an AFL footballer, everyone gets drafted and, and unfortunately they get told, you know, you're going to be here forever. This yeah. is your club, which you shouldn't be told that straight away. You no. should be told, listen, work hard. You could be around for a while. Three so, and a half years. It goes like that. Yeah. Soon he'd be potting me for only having three All Australians. Right. Yeah. But, no, that's not next, is it? <laughs> well, no, we're getting back. I remember when I played my 150th game. Um, back then, you used to read the record. That's about the only info you used to get. And it, and it had it did have a stat because you never saw many stats back back then. But now the, the, the world's full with them. But um, I played 150 of a possible 230 games or something. So there was about 80 I'd left on the table by then. By that was number 150. But my career ended short at the age of 30 because I had a back surgery and I, I pretty much could play again so I, I probably missed the last 50 games which is the decline years so sort of, sort of just sort of cut completely completely off but as Lee Matthews said it's okay you're only missing the games where the people used to beat all the time start beating you <laughs> so I thought that's a good point so I did I, I was very much cut short from a, from one injury now we go from having a magnificent career as a player into the coaching you start off at Richmond and then you get the job at the Brisbane Lions now this is how I want to sum up you coaching the Brisbane Lions. Oh, here we go. This should be good. Your mate Michael Voss has an apartment and they kick him out of the apartment. Okay. And you move into the apartment. I love an The allergy. apartment is run down. Yeah. It's shocking. It needs a lot of work. Yeah. You decide to plant a lemon tree. Yeah. And then you get kicked out of the apartment. Chris Fagan moves in, they do up the bathroom, they do up the kitchen, and now the lemon tree's magnificent, and people come round to this nice new house and say, that is a great lemon tree. Yeah, that's not a bad analogy. I prefer to use food analogies if I... if I, I don't, I'm not more of a building-type person, so if you want to look at it from a recipe perspective... Actually, no, we will use it. We'll use a building term because I believe, if you go back to building, there's three phases. You either got to knock the joint down, so demolish it, yeah, and then start building again. Then you put all the nice little fixtures and fittings on at the end to make it look pretty, the marble and all that. Brisbane was the full knockdown job. When we got to Richmond with 210 with Dimmer, I reckon the demo was done and some of the materials are on site. You know, Jack was already there. Um, Rancy was already there. Koch was already there. Uh, Dusty was recruited in his first season with a good pick, pick three. So a lot of the stuff was there. Most the, the, the demo had been... But when I got there, not even the players were there yet. So the ones that actually they did recruit, Elliot Yo and Doherty, actually left. left. So any materials they had on site were gone. So it was the full knockdown and go, okay, like Hitwood wasn't there yet. Um, Nothing like Harris Andrews wasn't there yet. A lot of those Darcy Garner. So they had to start from literally scratch. You know that that was that was definitely the job. So like any job, so well, how many years is that going to take? That's all the answer any supporter wants to know is how many years is it going to take? And some people know the answer to that, and some don't. I reckon you can get within a ballpark, but I always knew it was going to take till 219. I mean, a lot of my planning was going to base out till then. Um, So, but that's just given, and I probably didn't even appreciate that at the time, how long it was going to take. I mean, let's be honest, Chris 
Chris's first year, they finished on the bottom. And their second year, I think they might have finished second bottom. So he still had some work to do as well um, on top of the stuff I already did. So I think the club were very well aware how many more years it needed to take. But And then they were, and once they were able to get that good momentum under Chris, that's when the recruits go, geez, I'd like to play for that guy. That club's going somewhere. A bit. Like, we probably see that with Essendon now. They look like, oh, they've turned the corner. You know, they, they, they look well, like a club you like to play for. It was and, only, you know, six months ago that, there's real question marks. Or before the draft, yeah. oh, you know, Danaher's left and oh my goodness. That's right. And, and I, I know in, in your situation, you know, because I've been there myself when you're trying to, you know, put the cement down and start again, it, man, it is tough, you know, and, and it's not just the players, you know, that you've got to develop. It's it's off field. It's that connection with everyone. It's, you know, you're having your top end recruits go off to other clubs. It's like... This is almost an impossible task. And then somehow you've got to get that message out. Not only, most importantly, to your board, mm. and they've got to go, okay. And they go, yeah, we'll tick off on that. But then they get itchy feet and thinking, hang on, we're getting a bit of pressure here. And then you've got to get the message out to your supporters to say, listen, we're, we're going to rebuild, you know. So that's a good thing about North Melbourne. It's like, you know, we're rebuilding. It's going to be tough, you know. And then all of a sudden, they have a win on the weekend. They have a couple of wins. Everyone's like, this is fantastic. Mm. So you've got to sell the message properly and then you've got to somehow turn the club around to be being a club where draftees want to come here, right. recruits want to come. It is tough. Like being in the AFL world and, you know, in, the, in a coaching situation, which I've never been, but that's probably why I've never ever wanted to put my hand up in that situation because I'm like, there's no way I would like to, maybe because of Alistair Clarkson, I'm like, I never want to turn into something like that. That'd it, be too big of a pay cut for you too, Corp. <laughs> yeah. You'd have to give up some of your nine media but gigs. it is like, yeah. it is, it is an impossible right. task and there's, it's it's a long-term play, you know. you like Even Hawthorne at the moment, being so successful for such a long period, you know, they've decided to move on their greatest coach of all time um, and they're selling a four or five year, this is going to take us four or five years. That's a long time, you know, and whether or not mm. the supporters can hang in there for four or five years, I don't know. So it, yep. it is, it's a tough situation. Yeah, you got that negative energy, you got to turn into positive energy somehow. That's 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 the thing I always felt at Brisbane to go, well, but people aren't silly as well to go, no, we'll be fine, but they go, well, hang on a minute, with what? What part of this is going to be fine? We've got the youngest list in the competition, probably the worst injury list, we've got all, and you go, what part of this is going to be good? A bit like going, if I walk to you, that, that building site with that old decrepit house and say, well, this is going to be a beautiful apartment, or six apartments on this, you'll go, I can't see that. I can't see how this is even going to be possible. So you have to somehow get people, you know, refocused on what it's going to be. So I'm a big believer, as long as everyone's on the same page and they get the time frame and they get what they're doing, they're all buying in and they're all playing their role. You know what? Sometimes you're only going to get there for the slab stage and guess what? You're out. And some other guy's going to take over, going to get another builder in or whatever it is. And you just got to accept that you're part in the role. I got really lucky with Richmond. Well, I got to. I did the start at Richmond with Dimmer. I had a break, obviously, but then I was able to come back in the in the cherry on top stage. So awesome! I got to live the cherry on top stage, which was nice coming from Brisbane, where I was doing all the heavy digging. So you just got to accept, though, that it's not about any individual at a footy club being terrible or bad. You sometimes are just in the wrong place at the wrong time, or in the wrong role at the wrong time, and you're better off somewhere else. So that's why you shouldn't take it too personally. I took it personally leaving. Brisbane, but as you do, because you've been booted, but you should look back at it and go, it's, 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 not, it's not about me, it's about the club and it's about something bigger. Having said that though, is it a little bit frustrating when you see Fagan now, 
enjoying the fruits of the success, which you did start and probably didn't get the opportunity to finish. No, I still think he did two or three of his own hard years. Like, it's not like he walked straight in and they went straight to a, you know, premiership team or a premiership. They've still got challenges to even get to that now. He's got the next phase of his challenges to go is how do I jag a premiership with this group? Um but, yeah, look, he didn't have to do – okay, so what didn't he have to do? He didn't have to grab a guy like Brent Staker. You know, everyone has a respectful career. You've got to retire him up. Didn't have to do that. Or a Goose Maguire or a Reigns or go through Brownie's retirement and Blackie's retirement. And, and didn't have to – like, there's a lot of that I had to do. I had to do a lot of – not sacking but saying goodbye. And that is an emotional drain, whether they're, they're leaving themselves or whatever it is. You know, when, it, it, when you're doing the, um, the building part that, oh, welcome to our footy club. He's, he's your house, you know. He's our fellow. You're doing the nice stuff. Um, but when you're, you know, dropping four guys a week – energy sapping you know like when you're doing lots of that sort of stuff it is really energy sapping because you're providing a lot of bad news all the time so whenever you you end up becoming the bad news bear because you've, you've gotten rid of Croft's best mate who wanted to stay but you couldn't you know so he's a bit shirty and you dropped his other mate last week and you end up being the bad news bear and then the, the, the negative energy ends up surrounding you so and that's when you kind of go well you end up becoming the problem because you, 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 you're the Mr. Negative guy that keeps sacking everyone or dropping everyone or getting rid you're doing the You're trying to do the right thing for the long term of the club, but you end up going, I've seen what I've just done here. I've just created a group where I've just gotten rid of almost someone of everyone's mates here, and then you become that, that man. So um, and I think there's only – so it makes sense that then you remove that person and put someone that's actually a different figurehead that hasn't had to do – he probably would have made exactly the same choices, folks. If he was in the same situation, you never know. He might have done exactly the same – I did but he just wasn't that man at the time so I had to do it I had to play that role I had no other option really um, from where the club was at but um, but that's it and, and that's as simply as I like to look at it and the, the good thing with that is yeah okay you you know your coaching career uh, at the Brisbane Bears, uh, Brisbane Bears the Brisbane Lions is no longer but then you jump back into it with the Tigers mm. and as you said you got to experience the very best because you know uh, unbelievable team to watch we love the style of footy um, you know, we loved Dimmer Hardwick. Um, I remember him at Hawthorne for four years when I was there. He hated meetings. So I'm like, how on earth is this guy coaching? Because <laughs> he hated long meetings. But, um, you know, but I, I'm glad because it's such a loss. When you think through your career, mm. you did the hard years, you did the merger years, you had unbelievable success. You get to the end, you go into the coaching phase, you know, you help out Richmond, you go and try and help out your old club. And then a lot of people would go, do you know what? No, nah, okay. This oh, this is a bad experience. I'm done. The good thing is you've jumped back in, and you were a part of an unbelievable coaching group. So that yeah. that, that must you must be really proud of that because um, I'd imagine at the time you would have probably been thinking, do you know what? Maybe I'll go and hang out with Acker and sell real estate. <laughs> well, I don't know if I'm going to go down that path, but I know what you mean. I, I was, I mean, without Dimmer's phone call after uh, the Brisbane experience, I probably wouldn't have gone back to footy. I would have just gone, oh, just, let's just get out of this side of my face being on the newspaper and getting bashed um, everywhere. So uh, I would have probably left footy if, if Dimmer didn't give me a call. So I'm glad I'm glad he did. It got me through a difficult time for a few years. Again, we had to move the family again, though, and restart life. That's always a challenge that people don't see in the background uh, with, with the effect all the moves do on the family. But um, we're settled now. We're good and we're in, a, in a really good space and really enjoying where I'm at and loving the year off and, 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 and uh, being out of my first year out of footy for 27 years. So it's, it's crazy to think this, this system 
this week-to-week system has been a part of my life for this long. And to not have it is quite refreshing and quite good. Have your weekends off and you're like, hang on. What, what, I'm doing media, so I'm not f- well, completely yeah, off. So you're not, you uh, haven't. Yeah. But I think it's a great thing just to step back and just have an opinion. and, and Coach my daughter's team, I'm doing that. Oh, footy. there you go. Yeah, that's She's going, Dad, fun. stop being so serious, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, but the, the the good thing is you're a part of Richmond. Richmond won, what, three flags? Yeah. Um, and, you know, incredible period um, you know it's amazing me now even now Richmond are struggling a bit everyone's like oh Richmond no good I'm like hang on what's happened over the last four or five years they've been unbelievable you're kidding yourself yeah. you're allowed to have a little down period but and then you after last year which I think is the greatest premiership win in our history of our game because of COVID yeah. you guys were locked away your coaches were locked away um, and yet you're able to get through that year and then win and then you go do you know what I'm going to have a year off Um it's, it's a pretty nice position to be in. So how, how on earth was COVID from a coaching point of view and a playing point of view? Because Richmond seemed connected more than ever, as you've referred to a few times. Yeah, I think it was probably easier for the teams that had a little bit more experience. Um, obviously, some teams didn't handle it as well. It was very weird, though, because the way the hub worked up there is that Richmond had their own hub in a smaller complex at Carrara. And then Geelong had theirs as well in Southport. But there was there was the the pines which actually had all the families together. So I, I was sharing the hub grand final week with the Geelong coaches, <laughs> Chris and Nigel, and all my old mates. So there'd be times you'd be down in the lobby and you, you'd be coding a game, and the team you're playing is right behind yeah. you. I was like, oh, is he watching what I'm doing right now? It was very odd, and you're sharing with journo's and AFL people, and so it was it was like a yeah, it was quite quite a different environment, but. Richmond per se, that most of the 80% of the group had their own little hub at KDV. So I, th- I thought they set it up really well from the start. Um, th- just the hub itself. I thought, th- I thought. I mean, Dimmer was really persistent on keeping that separate hub where it was. They were going to merge together with the other teams. Dimmer didn't want that, um, probably because of the fact he's antisocial, first and foremost. <laughs> and and, sec- and um, I don't know, actually, that's the only reason. Um, and it had, But secondly, it had a good little setup there as well. Um, so I think I think they they did that really well. Is 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 Richmond the Richmond base was really good on the Gold Coast. What's next for Justin Levich? Um, well, there's been a lot of talk about coaching, isn't there? The, the, yeah. Obviously, the Collingwood situation at the moment, and and people keep saying, oh, you know, Carlton are in trouble. But you know what? It's it's a bit harsh. I feel for Teague at the moment yeah. because it's you know he's only in his what third year, but um, it's tough. So yeah, there's obviously options next year. There's seven coaches come out of contracts. Um, so it's, there's definitely, you know, something to think about now that you've had all that experience and, you know, you, you look at the game, you know, you've been through pretty much every roller coaster that can be thrown at you from a football point of view. So there's a lot of experience there. What, so what happens? Um, the other thing I know is that I'm not keen to go back to be an assistant coach. I know that for sure. I think I've, I'll, I'd, I'd love. I've, I've, I guess one thing that I've done, um, people probably don't know. Uh, I'm big in a property at the moment. I've got my own development. I'm, I'm building, so I'm, I'm really enjoying that. That's, I mean, that's probably only a part-time gig. Um, with footy, I find I'm a bit of a project man, um, and that sounds a little bit weird. I'm, I'm not the sort of guy that would go to a footy club, be employed, sit there, 
a bit like a, I don't know, a council yep. worker. You just get paid tick off. I, I, I think you got an expiry date at every footy club. Um, I haven't got anything in mind as far as what that is. I mean, I'd love. Let's say there's a group together. And we're going to go to a particular place. Let's say we'll suddenly say Collingwood because they're, and um, you know, this is a role we want you to play the next four years. We're at this level. We're going to build them towards that, and then we're going to see what happens. Um, you know, I'd be in for that. I, you know, I, I love that, and I'd play my role in it. I, I love playing a role in team success. That's really what gets to me. Um, the other, again, I'm only at the stage now. Go, but if, I just don't want to play that assistant coach guy that codes all the time and sits in the background and yep. do that. I, I'm just sort of probably over that. I don't like saying those things because no one should be too big for any particular role in a footy club uh, if you've got the strengths to do it. But I think just given my age and where I'm at, it's sort of thing I, I don't think I'd enjoy. But apart from that, I'd love to go in as a footy manager and help out. I've got a wide range of experience. I mean, when you're a senior coach, you're a list manager, you're a footy manager, you're everything. You're the lot. Um, so my senior coaching experience has given me a vast array of experiences um, in, in footy as well. Um, there might be – I'd love coaching coaches. That's one of the passions of things I do even now um, part-time is coach other coaches in, in how they coach. So I really enjoy that part of it as well. So there's lots of – so without answering your question, there's lots of skill sets I can do. What is that role? What is that role in COVID? Because a lot of things are getting – I know a lot of clubs are stripping things back or changing things and adapting things. So what role we have now may not even exist in a year. It might be a hybrid role or whatever it is. So – Will I get to get back to Clubland one day? It's probably more likely. Um, but what it is, um, I've got no really idea. What it, is it? Is it a desiring passion to be a senior coach? Not today. No, no. It doesn't mean I won't do that one day. I, I, what I love about the modern day AFL coach, you look at uh, Chris Fagan and Noble. They've come from different backgrounds, and it, you don't. Ha- there's no perfect pathway. There's no. You have to sit down and code for five years to get the qualifications to be a senior coach, which is great because I don't believe in that. I, I actually think our assistant coaches in our competition don't have enough experiences. They don't get exposed to boards enough, media enough, and and list management enough, and a lot of the things they need as skill set to be perfectly prepared to be an AFL coach. They get thrusted into it and they go from literally coding games of vision and talking to players only to this all this other external noise and then they realise that, man, I wish I had learnt all this stuff before I got to it. So there's a lot of, I think, growth in teaching assistance to other parts of it as well. Two final questions before we let you go and enjoy this beautiful Melbourne day. Best sled you ever heard on a footy field and favourite Jason Ackermanis story? <laughs> oh, jeez. Well, I've got 10 sledges and 10 Acker stories. So I've, got, <laughs> I've, I've, got a, I've got to pick one. Oh, sledges. God, there's so many. Um, there's so many. Where do you start? I know, um, I mean, Vossi had a terrific one one day. Um, with uh, actually, there's two or three pikey ones I can't tell, <laughs> which you probably know a few, Croft. Oh no, he threatened to uh, punch my head in at a nightclub once. Pikey, oh, okay. he didn't like me. But uh, no, no, we're fine now. But I'm like, just I'm like, calm down, man. I'll buy you a drink. We want to. I'll have five drinks. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he used and to then... do that. Well, Pikey used to do that to the kids. He, he used to. He actually used to stand up. He used to go. He used to intimidate the young boys and go, buy me a drink. Yeah. You know, and he did it to me once. I said, you know, I'm not a kid. You know, I don't fall for. Oh yeah. So he just, <laughs> but by the end, I'm. But in the in the Mad Monday, by the end, he used to intimidate the kids so much. I remember Damien Cupid. I had to go look at him. He's crying in a nightclub. I had to walk over and have to hug him. And and then, Pocky, what are you doing, man? And then, but at the end of the year, it got to a bit of a joke with the young boys. So we used to do it the Mad Monday. 
we used to have the beep test. Yeah, you know the beep test, but it was yeah. at the end. Yet it was a drinking game, so he's oh, a drink no. on the beep. So who used to last the longest? Yeah, oh, but we played for the Martin Pike Show Me Some Respect trophy. <laughs> so and the boys were like, I want it, you know, because every one of them at some point throughout the year had been pinned in the corner by Pikey, yeah. telling him how much respect <laughs> they've got to show him and buy him a drink. So they loved it. They bought it right. I got a t-shirt made up with Pikey's head on it, <laughs> and they loved it. They just were playing for the so Pikey. Pikey used to sledge his own young boys a fair bit, but that was that's one part of it. Vossi with the Shannon Burns one was fantastic one day at Geelong when it was just after half time and Vossi's yelled out. He was probably the King Sledger actually, I reckon, Michael. He's very underrated, but he yelled out to the umpire, Stop the game! Stop the game! And everyone's looked over and gone, they've left one of the Little League kids out here. <laughs> and it was one of those ones, even the own teammates started to go, that's pretty good. <laughs> so he was he was the king at it, Fossey. But um, Acker's story, well, I've already told the Acker one with the jumper. But Well, he, he was such a colourful character, yeah. Acker, you know, and but in saying that, he was an unbelievable footballer. Oh, my goodness. What about him on his left um, yeah. and he, his kicking skills? I remember having a chat with him, and it might have been um, – I think it, it was in a representative game, and, um, you know, I think at the time he wasn't – you know, he was shopping himself around a bit. He's like – It wouldn't be Acker. What's Hawthorne like, you know? And I'm like – I went back and told Hawthorne, hey, Ackermanis, you know, I don't think he seems too settled. But I found out – I think he used to do that to all the players. He likes being loved, yeah. Yeah, you know, um, and we, we probably couldn't afford um, – and I don't know why he'd want to come to our club at that time anyway, but um, but he he was an unbelievable player. Uh, explo- uh, so so quick, so skilled, um, and obviously, you know, a handful of times too. He wasn't jovial around the change rooms. He's quite a complex personality where he'd be very jovial to the media and, and he'd to the crowd and do handstands and be that person, whereas in, in the actual confines of the change room, he was he was very quietly sitting. He wasn't He wasn't out there. He wasn't telling jokes he wasn't he wasn't good in big groups so yeah so there wasn't he wasn't the guy that'd be sitting there taking control of a group more so behind the field so that's where he's a little bit of a contrast people would think that personality would seep through into the change rooms it wasn't for him he's very much a private um, person to himself a lot um, but loved that part of it he loved the showmanship to the external but he wasn't a showman around the club rooms that's for sure who was the king socially Probably me. <laughs> oh, uh, well, okay. Let's, myself and Craig McRae used to run the footy trips in the Mad Monday. So if that if that is yeah yeah. So I, I'll say fly because it, it actually makes me look more responsible. <laughs> um, but yeah, Craig McRae would have to be the uh, the social butterfly and the, the head of all that. Leper, we've loved having a chat. Thanks so much for your time. No worries. Thank you. Enjoyed J- it. Justin Lepage, superstar from the Brisbane Lions. G'day punters for the chance to win a ticket for you and 10 mates into the Tab Superbox. The magic code word this week is interchange. Full terms and conditions in the show notes. There's a chill in the air, but the footy's heating up. And so is Tab's same game multi, where you can combine your favourite AFL markets, like head-to-head, anytime goal scorer and total disposals, all in the one bet to get bigger odds. It's available all season long on the Tab app and website. Build your AFL same-game multi with Tab today. Tab, long may we play. Available online for Tab account customers only. Gamble responsibly. Call Gambler's Help, 1-800-858-858.